Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. My guest today is a return guest, and we often call on her, especially in uh, political trying times in election years, and I guess we can say 2020 is at least that. Andrea Miller is the executive director of the People Demanding Action, a multi-issue advocacy group, a nonprofit that promotes clean energy in Virginia and throughout America. Andrea is a former congressional candidate, a fierce advocate of solar energy, climate justice, and fair voting practices through reclaiming our vote and organizing for justice, just to name two. During the 2017-2018 elections, Andrea Miller designed and developed virtual phone banks for outreach to underrepresented voters in Virginia, in Alabama, and in Pennsylvania. And I think just recently she's been out west somewhere, Arizona, but we'll talk to her about that. Believing strongly that our ability to vote is our power to change things, Andrea Miller is very much involved with fulfilling the mission of the Center for Common Ground and the Virginia Poor People's Campaign. So welcome back, Andrea Miller, to the Reasonable Voices radio program. How are you? Marcello, I am fine, absolutely fine. And I was in California, not Arizona. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. Very good. And I, and I guess we should say where you go, one of your primary things, I mean, you do so much, and I've tried to list as much of them as I could in the intro, but you really are focused, especially, and not just in election years, but especially in election years, and Virginia has more than most, I think, one every year, I think. One every year. Yeah. Yeah. But all the all the the stages, if you will, all the steps to getting as many voters 
who are legally allowed to vote in America to the polls. Everything starts, I guess, with registration. Let's start with that. Oh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention to our listeners. Yesterday, I spoke with Andrea about being on the show today, and and, uh, so much is happening in Virginia. I asked, is Virginia turning blue? And her response to that was, well, bluish. And then I'll let her go from there. (laughs) You have a number of bills that you are pushing to become laws. Tell us what, well, start wherever you want. Election day, registration, same day registration, automatic voter registration. I mean, the list is quite long. Start where you like. All right. Well, Marcello, I'm only going to do a few of the voter registration bills, but I want people to understand why that is very, very important. When we look at voting, what a lot of citizens don't understand is if you don't vote, you will lose your ability to vote. Mm-hmm. Let me repeat that. Mm-hmm. If you don't vote, you will lose your ability to vote. So in Virginia, they are very, very generous. If you skip the equivalent of two presidential elections, meaning you haven't voted in eight years, mm-hmm. and then in the ninth year, which would be a midterm, you don't vote you will be unregistered and removed from the voter rolls. That is not considered purging. Hmm. That is considered voter file maintenance. And almost all states have a rule similar to that. Now, most states, the period is significantly shorter than Virginia. Mm -hmm. But all states say we have the right to maintain our voter rolls. In other words, if we've got people on our voter rolls who are citizens, they're legally able to vote, but they don't, well, we don't think we have to keep them on the voter rolls so they deregister you. And then that means, should you decide you want to vote in what would be like that 10th election When you report to the polls, you're going to discover you are unregistered. And if you are not registered to vote in Virginia, you have no ability to vote. And I think we'll start with our bills right there. Okay. All right. Now, we support two very, very, very important bills. One is called automatic voter registration. Mm -hmm. So you know how when you turn 65, you automatically get a notice from Social Social Security Security and Health and Human Services saying you are eligible to, you know, begin filling out your Medicare and your Social Security forms. Uh Well, we want automatic voter registration. When you turn 17, you should be automatically registered to vote. Hmm. In other words, if we can use technology, take a picture of my license plate and mail me a ticket, you know where I am. So when our young people turn 17 years old, they should automatically be added to the voter rolls. 
So that's one bill, automatic voter registration. Virginia does not have automatic voter registration. So the bill that we are waiting for is SB 219. It's by George Barker. It passed the Senate. So we are waiting for it to go over to the House. And once it goes to the House, to get voted on by the House. Okay, and just to be clear, uh, we're talking about the Virginia General Assembly, so it's State Senator George Barker. We are talking about Virginia legislation. So in absence of a federal bill that does the same thing, Mm -hmm. then the state has the ability to uh, basically... Um, do something equivalent. Beyond someone just saying to you, oh, we've never done it that way before, what logical resistance is there to automatic registration? I mean, not that we have the draft anymore, but there was a time, of course, which tells you how long ago this kind of discussion has been going on. If you were 18, you were old enough to be drafted to fight in a war, you should have been old enough to vote, and of course people used it also, old enough to drink, etc., etc. But what is the resistance? It seems logical to me that, you know, 18 is what we declare. Someone is now an adult. Why would would not... uh, automatic registration be a law? It should have been, and hopefully it will be. Um, As I said, that bill passed in the Senate, and it has now been crossed over or moved over to the House, and then the House will have an opportunity to vote on it. So now we also have another bill, and this bill is also really, really critical in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Same-day registration. Yes. What if I am that voter who didn't feel compelled to vote for 10 years, and all of a sudden now here's an election, and I feel really, really strongly about this candidate. I'm going to vote for this candidate. By gosh, by gum. Mm -hmm. I show up to vote. And it turns out I'm not registered anymore. Mm. But here I am in person, have all my right ID. I am ready to vote. I'm willing to vote. But gosh darn, you're not registered. We also need a bill for same-day registration, meaning I show up to vote on Election Day, and somehow it has escaped my notice that I am no longer registered to vote. Mm-hmm. I've been registered to vote in the past. I've just been deregistered for not voting. Yes. And so same-day registration would allow voters who find themselves in that circumstance to register and vote same day. Now, that bill has passed the Virginia House It's Hala Ayala's bill, and it has crossed over to the Senate, and the Senate will be voting on it on 218. If the Senate votes yes, then that bill will then go on to have the governor sign it. 
You know, you've mentioned crossover a couple of times. Why don't we tell the people what crossover day is? Crossover day in Virginia is an incredible thing. Mm. In Virginia, if one chamber, the House or the Senate, passes a bill, that means it will automatically, on crossover day, go over to the chamber where the bill may not have been heard before. Mm. So that's what they mean when they say the bill is crossed over from chamber A to chamber B. So that's the meaning of crossover. And crossover was, I believe, on the 13th this month. So that means right before crossover day, there is a huge rush to hear bills that have not been passed by Chamber A or Chamber B. So in Virginia, it's not really a big deal if you have a bill, let's say the Green New Deal, and Mm -hmm. it only gets introduced in the House, but nobody in the Senate introduces the same bill. Mm -hmm. If the bill were to pass the House, then it automatically gets introduced in the Senate on crossover day. Unfortunately, the Virginia Green New Deal did not pass the House. Appropriations failed to vote on the bill. The bill was successfully voted on in the Commerce and Labor Committee, but the Appropriations Committee failed to vote on the bill. It is a constant maze that through which you travel and master, I have to say. And I know you, you said a couple of times we are proposing and supporting these bills that we're talking about so far, registration and, uh, and, and so forth. But who is the we, just to be clear with the folks listening? Well, the we is our 501c4, People Demanding Action, and then also the Virginia Poor People's Campaign. So there's kind of a double we. Okay, then. All right. I knew that, but I wanted to make certain everybody knows because before we... we, Yes. All right. I've got one more voting bill. Okay. This is Delegate Sharneal Herring's bill, and it is House Bill one absentee voting no excuse required oh yes um how many times have you said you know i really don't want to be stuck in the long lines of election day i would really like to just head on over to my registrar and vote there Mm -hmm. well in virginia we were never able to do that. You had to have an excuse. Yes. I'm going to be working out of town, and I potentially won't be able to get back to my polling location in time to vote. Yes. You had to have one of ten approved excuses. I, you know. Well, absentee <laughs> voting no excuse required says if you decide you want to beat the long lines and basically show up and vote, fine, go ahead and do it. Um, I vote absentee every year, Mm. mainly because I'm either working at the polls 
and you generally report early and stay late. Yes. Or I'm arranging rides for the polls, or in some instances, I may actually be traveling. Yes. So I've always voted absentee because I always had an acceptable excuse. You know, and I've been through this. I I had to be out of town as a reporter, uh, out of state working. And so I did do this twice. And it it did, I must say, they they certainly, they handled it well. uh, But the 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 fact that they there are only ten excuses that are acceptable really right. did kind of bother me. So I'm glad to hear. I'm not at all surprised to hear that you're doing something about this or trying to do. What about early voting? Well, Virginia doesn't have early voting. Yes. So the closest thing to early voting we will have in Virginia is absentee voting, no excuse required. That is basically our early voting. Meaning before Election Day, you can go to your registrar's office and you can vote at your registrar's office. Every registrar has the appropriate paper ballots for your county and they also have, most of them will have a digital scanner where they have the ability to scan your ballot. Okay. This is all grand. It always is when Andrea Miller is on our show. Andrea Miller is the executive director of People Demanding Action. We're going to take a short break. And among other things, when we return, I'm going to ask Andrea Miller what she has in mind for 16-year-olds. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Indy Film Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indy Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. My guest today, Andrea Miller, the Executive Director of People Demanding Action. Things never stop for her, especially voter registration, elections, and she's very much involved, of course, with Virginia Poor People's Campaign and with virtual phone banks, with solar energy, climate justice, reclaiming our vote, common ground. It goes on and on. And even while we were in break, Andrea was checking on the various bills that she and her organizations are involved with trying to get passed into law. And uh, Andrea, could you mention a couple of those that are disappointing that didn't pass 
so people know it's it's a constant battle to be the kind of advocate and activist that you are politically. Tell us. All right. One of the bills that I was really, really, really disappointed that this bill failed was Lee Carter's bill to repeal right to work. And again, right to work says basically that the Commonwealth of Virginia is a right to work state, Mm. that employees can be basically fired and given no real reason, they can just be terminated. It allows employers to basically fight employees' attempts to unionize and a lot of people literally call it the right to work for less. So it was very, very disheartening that that bill failed. Hmm. And I want to take a look at the collective bargaining bill. I'm going to just go look at that. So give me a moment. And can you uh, give us the website as that. long as you're visiting the website so others can get involved oh. in doing this sort of thing? Well, an excellent website to use to track bills is either richmondsunlight.com or the Legislative Information Services, lis.virginia.gov. Excellent. Thank you. And, and then I'm also going to give a third site, and this is really an app. So if you're a person like me and you're on the go and you're at Virginia General Assembly and you like having an app on your phone, use the app TrackBill, T-R-A-C-K-B-I-L-L. Now, what I love about TrackBill is it is congressional bills or federal bills, as well as every piece of legislation introduced in all 50 states. So if you want to see what states have a Green New Deal bill, you can just type that in track bill and it'll show you all the states. You want to see what states have an Equal Rights Amendment bill, you can type that in and then see all the states. Mm. So it's not an easy path that Andrea and the Poor People's Campaign and people demanding action, it's not an easy path. Is it fair to say on the best day it's two steps forward, one step back? You win some, you... And that is a great way to put it, Mm. yes. We do great on some things, and then other things are very sad. Like, I'm going to give you four bills that were very important to us that were on the criminal justice side. Uh. One bill was the full legalization of marijuana. Mm -hmm. And that bill was continued to 2021. And so you go, why? Why why do we have to wait until 2021? It's going, I'm, I'm really not getting that. I'm I'm just not getting it at all. The decriminalization where you have to pay a penalty of 50 bucks 
it's a bill that does something but not really what we want we want full legalization treat it like alcohol Mm -hmm. and tobacco put age limits on it you need to be 21 years old we need quality controls on it so that people aren't cutting it with bad things Mm. legalize it tax it bring in revenue and stop putting people in jail or something that as long as you are an adult you are not committing a crime Another bill that was very, very important to us was there was an expungement bill. Now, expungement is if you commit a crime and it was a misdemeanor or a nonviolent felony. Again, a lot of drug charges are nonviolent felonies. After seven years, if you don't get in trouble again, we would expunge or remove it from your record that you had ever committed a crime at all. Hmm. And that bill was also continued to 2021. So being continued is basically kicking the bucket down the the road there. Exactly, meaning we're going to look at it next year. Well, is it going to look any better next year? Why does it look better next year than it does this year? I'm not getting it. And then uh, there were two expungement bills. They did the same thing. And then admission to bail, presumption of release on recognizance, meaning this is the first time you have ever committed a crime and it is not a serious crime we're not talking about murder and rape we're talking about things that are crimes they're not serious you've never done anything before we're going to let you set bail pay your bail and we're going to release you on your own recognizance Mm. they also continued that to 2021 so again it just makes me say why? What are they? What are they thinking of? And then one other bill that was very important to us: increase the felony larceny threshold to two thousand dollars. Was not even able to pass the house. Mm. Now most of us own cell phones, yeah. where our cell phones are nine hundred to. each. So if someone steals your cell phone, and currently the larceny threshold, the felony threshold is $500, they have technically committed a felony, and if convicted, whether they go to jail or not, Mm. they are going to, quote, lose their right to vote forever until the governor restores their right to vote. Over a cell phone, can we get real? That's why we need to raise the felony larceny threshold to at least $2,000. Texas, I mean, Texas, it's $2,500 in Texas. We are ridiculous at $500. I just wondered, it sounds like we've reached a point, surely, where common sense should point out that certain laws, not all laws, but certain certain habits, certain things we've gotten used to, and certain laws need to evolve. 
because life has changed, the world has changed, the state has changed, the intelligence level and education level, all of that has evolved. But our governmental institutions and agencies and the laws that they produce are still stuck somewhere in the 1950s or before. I, I'm not trying to be funny, flippant, or even critical. I'm just saying it seems to me as though too many lawmakers are saying, no, 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 we're not going to change that. We've always done it this way, which is a phrase I hate anyway. What's behind that? What are they afraid of? Well, one of the things that happens in Virginia is Virginia has a number of for-profit prisons. And Virginia is one of those states where we have a 100% guarantee with our for-profit prisons that we will fill all of the beds. So this very low felony larceny threshold of $500 allows certain localities to incarcerate people of a certain color for what is indeed a very minor, and I'm putting quotes around it, Mm -hmm. crime. So, you know, I was afraid that private prisons had something to do with it. Prisons should not be for profit. And, and the state should not be guaranteeing, oh, don't worry, we'll fill your prisons for you so you can make your profit. I, right. I find that... Disgusting. Yes. And, and again, what we're basically saying is we guarantee you that we will keep our laws so that people who create small crimes will be sent to prison that we are not a state that is about rehabilitation we are a state that is about incarceration Hmm. and making profit from incarcerating people that is the message that we are sending all right well the only thing we can do is or the best thing we can do is vote register to vote vote help others register to vote, get them to the polls, and try and push our lawmakers into thinking, into ethical and moral behavior. How's that? What about... I like that. Yeah. What what about the the, the ID laws, the photo ID laws in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Are we making any progress on that? It looks like we may very well be making progress on photo ID, that bill has crossed over, so we are waiting for a vote on that, and if that bill does pass, then the governor will have the opportunity to sign a bill that repeals photo ID. That would be a huge step, I think, a huge step, because let's face it, I mean, we know uh, what we're we're talking about it it really is a certain segment of the population that's really oppressed and has been well since voting rights were given to male african americans i mean it it is um it is neighborhoods of color who suffer most with with restrictive voting laws. I mean, we we all know about and heard about Jim Crow laws, and we think they're gone, but they're not. They're just sort of uh, tweaked and given different names. What, what exactly 
what is the foundation for? I know this is a big question, but the foundation for saying you committed a felony and therefore you cannot vote ever again. Even once you, the whole, the standard is you've done their time and now you're out. And why doesn't your full citizenship return to you automatically in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Oh, we can go back to the year is 1902 and the senator is Senator Carter Glass. Mm. And yes, that is the same Senator Glass of Glass-Eagle. So we get to look at a person who on the one hand created the consummate piece of legislation basically separating speculative banking from regular banking, Mm. who in 1902, as a young man, said, we are very, very concerned about the influence that African-American voters are potentially going to be able to have on elections. So what we're going to do is say that if anyone has been convicted of a felony, then that person will lose their right to vote until it is individually restored by the governor. And they were very careful to say individually restored Mm. as opposed to the governor like Governor Terry tried to do in August 2016, Mm -hmm. a blanket restoration. They had to be individual. And the quote went something like, this should render the darky vote, and they did specifically say the word darky, Mm. irrelevant. I appreciate that historical reference to give us that that vista from which to see this because again as i say we've just changed the words we've made them a little more pc we there was a time one might argue things were said out loud so we knew what was going on now it's a lot more or sometimes uh, more subtle uh, but it's still there this voter repression of a certain segment of the population because we don't think they're good enough I, I... Well, and it, it, it's not even necessarily that we don't think they're good enough. We think that we aren't happy at all about the influence. We want certain people to have influence. Here's the full quote. The delegates to Virginia's 1902 Constitutional Convention adopted expanded voting restrictions, adding requirements for poll taxes and a literacy test. They were not shy about their intentions. Virginia's new constitution, and this is in the Virginia Constitution, would eliminate the darky as a political factor, explained Carter Glass, a convention delegate, and later as a United States senator and author of Glass-Steagall Banking Law. The goal was to ensure complete supremacy of the white race in the affairs of government. I was not aware of the complete quote. 
I do know of uh, Senator Glass, but um, gee. And you know what? And something else, for, for all my Caucasian brothers and sisters who might be listening to this show and thinking whatever you might be thinking, this is a, a majorly a racial issue for black and brown people, yes, but it's also Native Americans. And by the way, it's also women. In the Commonwealth of Virginia, the General Assembly finally voted to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Women, according to the Constitution and the late Justice Scalia, are not equal to men legally in the Constitution. So it was passed in Virginia. Virginia was the 38th state to do so, and we should be on our way. What happens? We go to Washington, D.C., people like Andrea Miller and, and other guests who've been on my show, women who've been fighting for this for decades, and the House of Representatives votes to say, okay, we're going to eliminate the deadline, ratification date deadline that was arbitrarily attached, and that's great. And then what happens with Mitch McConnell and the U.S. Senate? What are your thoughts, Andrea? Where are we headed? Well, well, um, the Senate is very interesting from a political perspective, a yes vote on the part of Republican senators would do nothing but help their re-election possibilities because all the states that have Senate elections in all those states, there are more women in the population than men. Mm. And according to most studies, women tend to be far more consistent voters yes. across all races than men. Yes. So it would seem to be a no-brainer to bring this up and give the Republican Senate members an opportunity to say, look, we like women. We think you're equal. We voted to remove the deadline from the Equal Rights Amendment. We did our job. So don't be mad at us. Yes, uh, I, I think, well, we have a history, certainly our politicians, of cutting off our nose to spite our face and... Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, and there it is. Listen, I want to end on as upbeat a, a possibility. We do, we must go. We're, we're running over, but, you know, I always love what, what you can tell us and educate us. But what is this about 16-year-old voters? What, what's happening? Well, there is a bill. It would be a constitutional amendment that says, look, what we want to do is 16-year-olds would not be voting. What they would be is they would be pre-registered. So remember, when you're looking at people under the age of 21, normally their only encounter, as it were, with government was you're born and you got a birth certificate. Mm. For children that are homeschooled, there may not really be standard school interactions. So this says at 16, you're going to be allowed to pre-register to vote so that when you turn 18, that year that you turn 18 before a November election, you are already set and ready to go and you can vote. That's the whole 
idea. Now the bill failed. Mm. So we will try again next year, but it doesn't give the ability to vote to 16-year-olds. What it does is it puts them in the system so that when they turn 18, they will be registered to vote. Automatic voter registration is for 18-year-olds or those that will be 18 by election day. Mm. This says we've got computers. It's not that much of an additional burden to reach back and grab these students at 16 and identify them as they're going to be on the voter rolls for the 2021 election, the 2022, so on and so forth. We have the technology. We can do this. We can do this. And that's how we want to end this. We can do this. Andrea, let us know how we can reach out and be a part of your advocacy. I know the Virginia Coordinating Council and, of course, the poorpeoplescampaign.org and there's a Virginia poorpeoplescampaign.org as well as the national movement, yes? Well, 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 that's not the URL. It's poorpeoplescampaign-va.org. So, yes, there is a Virginia Poor People's Campaign. And so we urge you to go to our website or go to the national website, and if you click on the state of Virginia, Virginia has a state page that will bring you to our page where you can read articles about what we're doing. We're doing a lot of things, and we are preparing for the June 20th mobilization in Washington, D.C. So there's a lot of things that are going on in the Virginia Poor People's Campaign as well. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Andrea Miller, the Executive Director of People Demanding Action, for being on our show today. It is always an incredibly uh, important, informative, educational civics lesson. How's that? Thank you very much, Marcella. Yes, that is true. I love being part of America's civic lesson. Yes, indeed you are, a big part. All right, then, we wish you all the very best. We must run. You'll be back soon, I'm sure. All the best to you. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you. Bye Thank now. Thank you. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening?
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. A new USA, post-impeach Trump, pre-pardon Stone, and infighting Democrats. Undoubtedly, everyone has heard what salivating corporate talking heads think we should think about Mike Bloomberg's first encounter with an audience who talks back. Whomever we feel can mute the new self-elevated chief law enforcement officer of the land of the free, Trump's Las Vegas tainted stand-up lowered the curtain on America's democratic and small-d democratic process. As long as we succumb to media how to watch political events and pundits PSing nationally televised debates to ensure what they think they saw is what any mentally sound, hearing perfectly human with 2020 vision, would and should absorb, regurgitate in grateful chorus with the over-the-hill inhabitants, lock-stocked and branded USDA-approved, yet hardly mentioning the incompetent incumbent. Truth is, the last three hours of 19 February 2020, the Achilles' heel of the leading Democratic candidates for president were exposed to the emperor with no clothes. Most notably, the all-too-personal venom between Buttigieg and Klobuchar, who lost her usual cool focus when caught between two frontal attackers, a political office she obviously sees beneath hers, and a disproportionately inappropriate Vanessa Hook proving she is indeed beneath Klobuchar's expertise. I've never been a fan of Amy Klobuchar, but as a radio news producer anchor, I believe those choosing media professionally, especially in the Trump era, need to maintain their footing on the path of Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite. On-camera notables did get that Biden did better than ever, but not that Trump won the night with my first choice, at first, Elizabeth Warren, a close second, while hardly unseating cool carpetbagger Bloomberg, any more than Buttigieg's well-rehearsed bazooka shot across the two extreme choices of Democratic primary voters, one candidate who wants to burn this party down, and another candidate who wants to buy this party out. As I'm still influenced by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, and Martin Luther King, Jr., I believe such short-sighted overkill always backfires on our collective greater good. Choosing, for whatever reason, to allow others to define us doesn't spare anyone that inopportune moment when the accumulation of what we think, say, and do reveals our true selves to the world. So please, seize the day. Consider the flaunted criminality of Rudy Giuliani, Bill Barr, Mitch McConnell, Pardon and Computations DOJ usurper Jared Kushner, presidential ass coverer Roger Stone, and the Don's awardees Mike Pence, Rush Limbaugh, and Richard Grinnell. Not this list of the trumped, nor indeed Nevada, were even offered up as token hors d'oeuvres at the debate. While Senator Warren did not win me back, she did prepare Mike Bloomberg for round two by knocking him back a poll digit or two and reminded Americans who truly listen not only how damaging health insurance executives and Supreme Court-sanctioned Citizens United PACs, pretending corporations are people, are diminishing America's constitutional willpower, but that teachers are most responsible for uplifting the power of Americans to reason, indeed to think uninhampered by 24-7 analysts. The new reality show America, created by Taft's Little Brown Brothers, 
Hoover's cow-like silence producing voluminous Hoovervilles, Nixon's Saturday night massacre of America's rule of law, Reagan's faux trickle-down, one-issue voters' response to Oro in the Oval, Bush Cheney Wolfowitz's forever mushroom cloud oil wars, is now in sight of a fast-approaching swampy bottom to the proverbial slippery slope, where now, beckoning to us to join them, resides those who believe everything they see on any screen and still knowingly elect a Republican Party divorced from the great emancipator and now joined at the hip to a jackass pardon power abuser. As for Bernie, he still ignites memories of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and how I wept even while reporting from the Pennsylvania Convention Center in 2016 when he conceded to his Democratic rival, asking all to support Hillary Clinton. As then, so now... I would love to see a President Bernie Sanders, but in a world where America cannot survive a second Trump administration, not to mention the possibility of Trump's refusing to vacate the White House when reason regains Franklin's republic to keep it. We cannot afford to give the Don's tainted Las Vegas fair system stand-up the sledgehammer he needs to finish off America's dreams and dreamers. Although Donald Trump is forever more mob boss than American president, the invasion of Putin's 2016-2020 hackers is partners with the domestic corruption of our nation's electoral process to cut off America's nose to spite the Democratic Party's face. Unscrupulous Donald Trump is still electable in the swing battleground states, so middle-class Democrats and union members shall we gather at the Red Sea of Adelson, Koch, and Mercer family packs drown in corporatism's states red-mapped with gerrymandered districts, join the 12% who voted for Sanders in 2016 Democratic presidential primaries, but in general election voted for Trump-Pence. Or shall we finally become true patriots and put away such childish things? Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.